we can read the Old Testament and without having some sort of theological understanding, we just think, wow, that's just hard to process. And, and so then we spend all our time in the New Testament or a good portion of our time in the New Testament because that seems to be written to us or for us or however you need to see that. And, and sometimes they don't connect as well. So if you look in Colossians chapter 2, let's begin reading in the first verse where it says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, being knit together in love, attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Keep in mind that when you read the New Testament, it sets on a foundation both prophetically and, and, and chronologically or, or historically, it fits on a foundation of the revelation of the Old Testament. When the Bible says in John chapter 1, the Word became flesh, if you want to get real specific about that, you can look back and find those compound names of God when God revealed Himself to His people. And He said, I am Jehovah this, or I am Jehovah that. And basically He began to reveal to us certain aspects of His character that would be revealed in the flesh in Jesus. So when the Word, the fullness of God's counsel, the fullness of God's will, became flesh, the will excuse me, the will of God was manifested in Jesus. And so when we see that and we receive him, then we take these scriptures that are about him or that reveal him, and we say, wait a minute, this is pretty important here. He is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So here's the thing. When you study the Bible, what you're oftentimes doing is getting the rest of your body, both flesh and soul, to agree what already lives in your spirit man. See, that's sometimes how you have this, 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 this confirmation that happens when you realize that what you didn't know seemed like it was always truth the first time you heard it. You understand what I'm saying? You don't know those things, but the first time you hear it, you go, oh my, this has always been truth to me, even though it's just started today. That's the person of Jesus Christ that lives in you, that confirms to you the wisdom and knowledge of God. That's how come it's easy for most of us, without any experience of raising of the dead, to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Your salvation, your faith, your experience in Christ is based on the understanding of the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, and you say, wow, how did that happen? Not exactly sure. Romans tells us by the spirit of holiness that happened. Romans tells us the same spirit that was in Jesus Christ, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, is in us. So we begin to see this revelation of all these treasures. And so when we go back and then study the, the book of Proverbs and we see these things, we begin to see that not only is that truth, but that truth is alive. And if we'll take it the next step, that living truth is in us. See, this is not a total, like, like blind revelation of, wow, I can't even believe that's the truth. No, when you hear it oftentimes because of Jesus living in you, it's almost like you hear it for the first time, but it's always been truth to you. So I don't know if that makes sense, but it's the reason that you don't always have to have an argument. How many ever heard things that you weren't quite prepared to believe about God? Right? And, and you had that argument kind of in your head. You kind of said to yourself, wait a minute here, no one's ever taught me this, the church I went to didn't teach this, and now this just seems weirder than a $3 bill. And yet, 
And so, but then there's other times where you just read it and you go, yeah, that makes perfect sense, even though I'm just now hearing it, but it's always been true inside of me from the moment of my, my born again experience. So, so that's, I just want to continue to keep tying that together for you. Okay, back in the book of Proverbs chapter 5, I want to, I want to look, first of all, to the 27th verse of chapter 4 as we transition from, you know, one area to the next. Notice what it says. It says, do not turn to the right or to the left. Now, much of what we believe happens on the pathway that is Jesus Christ. I want to explain this to you. I want, I want you to get it. The best path for you always leads to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in your life. It actually leads to your crucifixion. The, as you mature, the road gets more narrow, right? Narrower and narrower does it go. It's kind of like a dog with a big stick that can't get in the doggy door, right? Where you bite the stick at becomes extraordinarily important. And so when you find yourself banging up against the narrow road, you either have to move the stick in your mouth, right, or the things you're holding, or you have to let go of some of those things. So whenever we get to this place where the road narrows in our life, we begin to say to ourselves, as we turn to the right or to the left, the more narrow the road is, the easier it is for us to be stepping kind of outside of it. So what God's trying to show us here is that when we first get born, what I believe he's trying to show us, is when we first get born again, we might essentially live with one foot still out there in the world, right? And if we turn just a little bit to the right or to the left, depending upon which ditch you're hugging, right, you, you get off of the path and you go, oh, that won't work. And so then you get back on. And as you keep walking, it gets more narrow and more narrow. And so what, he, what he's trying to get us to see here is that our choices are important to recognize because as we turn, it leads us off the path that leads to our recognition or our reality of being crucified in Jesus Christ. You can't take anything into the throne room with you. Right? Again, like a dog with a big stick trying to get in the doggy door. That's not going to go well. And so what he's trying to say to us is, you need to remove your foot from evil. What does that mean? It means as you turn to the right or to the left, it will lead you to the wrong thing. And, and by the way, since there aren't any options in this scripture, it always leads you to the wrong thing. And so when you see certain things outside, I mean, <laughs> I always get tickled when Christians who have a high standard of morality want to kill people who don't agree with their morality. Gone. Well, now that won't work because Jesus is for life. It, it's why that as, as Christians, we have to learn how to be accepting and in some ways tolerant without stepping off the path. Okay? So somebody who isn't like you comes to your church. You can't say to them, you shouldn't say to them, if you'll clean up and become like us, will accept you, right? I mean, it's kind of hard to process because we know at least a little bit about what it's supposed to look like. And somebody who comes in who doesn't understand our standard, whatever our standard is, we can actually become critical and judgmental of them simply because they're not like us. 
And so most churches, ours included, has certain areas of right and left where we've begun to, to accept that, but we're actually off the path. I know that. I, I knew that wouldn't go over. We don't know, nor do we process well, the fullness of God's truth because he's oftentimes in the process of revealing it to us as life, not as truth. We can, can we all agree that one plus one equals two? Okay, and so when Paul says to the Philippians, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward, he calls that one thing. How many of you know God's math doesn't line up with the world? Okay, so you see, that's a living truth that one plus one doesn't equal two. One plus one equals the wholeness of one. That's when God puts man and a woman together and he says, these two shall become one flesh. That doesn't make any sense until you process with an, kind of a, an, an, an open mind and realize that every divorced person you've ever had came into that situation as a half person. Because what was broken apart by man had to be restored by God. Chugga, 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 chugga. Are, are you tracking with me? So you see, sometimes we can say, oh, that's truth. But what we need in our life is a living expression of that truth in us. Not what we want. I would love for the world to be more like what I would like because that would really make me comfortable. Right? I'd like not to look at our school systems and see what I see. I'd like not to look at our political system and see what I see. I'd like not to... I'd like not to see young people who don't have a clue what's going on making decisions that they're not geared by God to make. They're not, they're not geared by God to make yet. So, you know, back in the olden days when it, when it was just about when it was just about sex before marriage, now it's about what flavor of sex. I mean, sorry, there's no kids in here, so I can I can be, you know. And, and what we say, well, this is the truth over here. Unless that truth becomes a living expression of Jesus Christ, all we'll do is step off of the path and be critical and judgmental. We will move to the right or the left, and we will not remove our feet from evil. Now, what it says here, it says, remove your foot from evil. It is evil for non-Christians to expect Christians not to act like Jesus. Okay, everybody, we can say amen to that. How many of you understand that it's evil for us to expect others to act like us? See, we don't always see it that way. We look at people who don't act like us and we say, well, now that's evil. You know, and then always these great grump bunch of people who want to say to somebody who's maybe never heard about the reality of Jesus Christ, if you don't change, you're going to hell. Well, okay, that being true, that's not a living truth yet in those people's lives because living truths come from an expression of love. Are you with me? If you love a homosexual in your church and give them the opportunity to be exposed to a living truth, you can expect for them to change. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, then you haven't met very many homosexuals. You say, have you? My, my first 
ministry service as a full-time pastor. May 26, 1986, the worship leader came to me after the service and said, Pastor Glenn, can I meet with you? My first service. Now, as much as I'd like to say I knew what I was doing, I didn't then and I kind of still don't now. Okay? <laughs> but the worship leader wanted to meet with me. So we went in what was to become my office. And I walked in there and he shut the door and he began to tell me that his expression sexuality leaned more towards men than women. He was leading worship in our church. Now, I had to have an answer pretty quick because... He's on stage, right? How many of you ever know that, man, if you're going to step up there, you've got to watch out because that's where the lightning lands? Because there's a stricter judgment on those who serve God and those who teach His Word. How many of you ever heard that? How many of you know that unless a person on stage has a living revelation of grace, they would never step up there? A living representation. Listen, I don't do everything right. I don't think right sometimes. I don't even think right about you all. Some of you got problems that are so easy for me to solve. And when you don't solve them or take my advice, however sideways it's offered through a service or whatever, I look at you and go, I can't believe you're still struggling with that. Every time you do that, you turn to the right and left. Are we all together? Does that make sense? And so when we read about wisdom, we're really looking for the living expression of who Jesus is in our life. The treasures of wisdom are in Christ in us. That was the whole point of getting to this place. Here we are in chapter 5. And then he says, my son, verse 1, pay attention to my wisdom. Now notice that it says, he's asking you to pay attention. Notice the revelation. He says, my son. Now I realize this was information or revelation or wisdom that was passed down from a father to a son. But now several thousand years later, <coughs> we have to recognize that there is an intimate relationship in the impartation of wisdom. There is an intimate relationship in the impartation of wisdom. It's not necessarily wisdom. If you hear it on the internet, it sounds good to you. And then you try and essentially preach what you heard on the internet that sounded interesting to you or may even have been the truth. If it doesn't live in you, it's going to fall like unliving words. Make sense? And so, yeah, it sounds good. I've actually heard things and probably heard things come out of my own mouth that I thought, oh, we well, should have thought that one through. Because it'll never be living truth that way. Because without the revelation of Jesus Christ being the back of it, we will say it in, accord, in accordance to human wisdom. In, in northeastern Colorado, it makes perfect sense to us that everybody should be conservative. It makes perfect sense to us. And we can't believe. I mean, I talked with a pastor the other day, and he told me, he said they had, they had a they had a, a design issue in their church that was probably done in the 60s or 70s or at some point. And he said to me, he says, Pastor, can you believe that the men's bathroom is pink? I said, yeah. Well, we got to change that. I said, why? He said, I'm not sure, but when I went to my leadership, he said, when I went to my leadership, they said, well, that's okay. That, that bathroom's okay to me. Now, you say, what difference does that make? Okay, are you ready for some wisdom? 
The reason this church exists is to encourage you, but not to satisfy you. Okay? If all we ever do is say what you can agree with, you won't grow. You need to be stretched into some, right? <clears throat> Come on, how many of you had your parents say to you, you at least need to try the Brussels sprouts? Did you ever say that to any of your kids? You at least, what happened was, in their wisdom, it was unattractive to us. It wasn't living. I still, to this day, do not like Brussels sprouts. They taste like weeds. I don't like them. Unless, of course, you put a lot of cheese on them. And then I really like cheese. <laughs> you understand? That's my wisdom. So if you come to church and somebody offers you the broccoli of the word and you say, well, I don't really like that. And the pastor puts some cheese sauce on it, which allows you to take that into your comfort zone. Well, I'm not really talking about you. You know, there's a lot of people outside the walls of our church that are just sinners and they need us. And so we need to put a sign up that says sinners welcome. By the way, that will not draw people to your church to point out to them how wrong they are. So come to our place so we can get that label off of you. Are you tracking with me? Wisdom has to be a living So when he said, my son, you have to have that int, you should look for that intimate connection with the person who's revealing that to you. Now, not me. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, we don't need a man to teach us. Did you know it said that? 1 John chapter 2, this is why I only get through one verse. First John chapter 2, verse 27, I think. Yep. Wow, this Bible's new. I haven't underlined it in here. This is one of my favorites. But the anointing, verse 27, are you with me? Yep. But the anointing which you have received. Now, when we're, when we're teaching like this, when I'm trying to take you down these roads, I, I, want to, I want you to pay attention to the context as well as the tense. You have received. Upon receiving Jesus Christ, whether you accept it or not, you received an anointing from the Holy One. Yes? No? Sure. And so as you sit there in your favorite spot in church, saying, I sure hope I don't have to go up front because everybody in the church is better than me. Your living truth of an anointing that rests on you is swallowed up by the comfort of how you approach that truth in your humanness. I'm not anointed. Yes, you are. Take it up with God. And you say, well, does that mean I need to come up every week? No. It doesn't give you a carte blanche to come up and do whatever you want, whenever you want. In that anointing, when you follow that, you become another person. Verse 20, go back and look at it. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. The Bible seems to suggest under the anointing that the knowledge of who God is and how He would have you to go and to do is available to us. See, <laughs> it doesn't mean you're a know-it-all. It, it means that you know all things. 
Verse 27 says, But the anointing which you have received, past tense, from him abides, literally takes up residence in you. Inside of your born-again self, your human spirit looks like God. And the fullness of God lives in you. But when you don't allow for that truth to be living inside of you, it won't come out of you in a living way. It'll come out of you in a human way. <clears throat> so when your church is known for its human ways, the natural response to human ways in a church is to build boundaries and restrictions to get all the humans to be the same. So there are churches like ours that actually believe that if you don't pray in tongues, you're not even saved. Now you can't prove that in the Bible. When you get born again, when you get saved, <coughs> the Holy Spirit comes into you. He will spend the rest of your life, your living life, trying to get out through the expressions of who God is. Well, I don't believe in that. That's when you step out. Here I am again telling you how to believe. That's when you step out in your humanness and say that these things which make us uncomfortable don't belong on the path. You cannot take that knowledge into the throne room. That knowledge has to be living, has to be congruent with who you are in Christ. That's what you take in. So, for example, if you believe in miracles... Forget how you define that and all. If you believe that God will intervene in a supernatural way in the normal course of humanity, if you believe in that, it shouldn't make any difference to you how that happens. I believe that God loves me like the Bible says. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. God loved me in spite of who I was because he wanted me to become who he wanted me to be. That's living truth. That's just not Bible truth. That's to live in us. So back in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, it says, We have an anointing which you've received from him, abides, and you do not need that anyone teach you. King James Version says that no man should teach you. That makes sense. You say, wait a minute, we do that every week. Stop listening to me and listen to the anointing. Because that's when you come to the door to shake the preacher's hand, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> to shake the preacher's hand and tell him it was a good sermon about whatever you heard, and he says in his mind, I didn't say anything about that. You heard through the anointing. Are you tracking with me? That, see, that's the living truth that God's trying to give us. Not, not intellectual truth. Intellectual truth will separate. Are you aware of that? Psychology even has a great answer for that. Cognitive dissonance. The existence of two equally true things in your mind. I just got to tell you, there is but one truth according to the Bible. He is the truth. There's only one. Cognitive dissonance is how psychology and man explain doubt. You may not have ever seen God do anything, but the Bible says Jesus went about healing all. Well, I've never seen that. That's cognitive dissonance. That's where doubt comes from. And you say, well, I'm not doubting that. Yes, you are. 
Until you see it, Thomas. Until you see it, Thomas. Till you put your hand in the nail hole. Till you run your hand in his side. You won't believe it. Jesus said, it's better for you to believe without seeing. That's living truth. If you say you have to see it, just imagine yourself taking a step off to the right or to the left and also separating yourself from the intimacy that is your relationship with God. Amen. Okay. Do you see it? Keep reading verse 27. He says, but you uh, don't need anyone to teach you, but the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. Do you see it? Is there anything that the anointing can't teach you? And yet, what do we need? We sometimes need the world to tell us what we need to know. You pick, pick the subject. Get on the internet, watch the TV, and they will tell you what you need to know. And they'll tell you if you don't do it this way, this is the part I love. Wisdom doesn't say if you don't do this, then you don't get this. Okay? <laughs> when you get God's wisdom, it will work as mightily in you as you can stay out of the way of it. That makes sense. Come on. How many of you have ever gotten in the way of what God intended, seemed to have intended to do because you said that's enough, whatever that is? Right? And so God will, God's wisdom will work in you to the degree that you allow it. When it's living in you, when there's a living, intimate relationship of wisdom inside of you, you can then step forward in things that don't make any sense humanly. Like, <clears throat> when you marry someone, you become one flesh with them. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I just want to tell you something. Some of you treat your one flesh not so great. See why it's important? That's why Ephesians 5. So, uh, man, <coughs> a man loves his wife, you know, and all that, and no man ever hated his own body, but, but cares for it and that kind of stuff. And, and if you go and look at that, you think, wait a minute, what's he saying to us? He's saying that the expression of living wisdom is to, for you to, as a man, for you to be Jesus and to teach and to treat your spouse in the way that Jesus would. It takes wisdom to do that. You cannot lord over, <coughs> you cannot lord over your, your spouse in human philosophy. So when the world says, well, yeah, but you need, to understand, you need to understand something, Pastor. The Bible teaches that women are to be subservient. Well, the verse before that two verses says that we are joint serving each other. Does that make sense? Wisdom has to live. So the anointing teaches us those things concerning all things. Notice what else it says. And is true. And is not a lie. He's going to great difficulty, thank you, he's going to great difficulty to show us how to process what lives on the inside of us. He's going to great length to show us how to process what lives on, you do not need anything else poured in, you need to allow for the living reality of God's wisdom that lives in you to be the expression that comes out of you. 
And that means you've got to stay out of the way of it. Right? Come on, how many of you have ever gone in to a store as of late since they quit giving us plastic bags? How many of you had to keep yourself out of the way of that? You said you were from Kansas, way to go. That's a great excuse. I, I, I live where I don't have to deal with that. You understand that the shallowness that we approach the wisdom of God with suggests that we're not living in the fullness of the wisdom of God. Because we know better than charging us 10 cents for a bag. That's just crazy. Quit charging me 10 cents for a bag. I want you to give me that bag because I am what? Well, because it's more comfortable for me. I know. See, we don't, we don't always approach this right, do we? How many of you know wisdom says if you'll control your attitude, your day will go better? Just get up in the morning and put on a holy sock. I hate holy socks. If I find a holy sock, I throw it away. I, I don't wear holy socks. I'm sorry. You say, well, why don't you? Because I don't want to. Well, wisdom would say, you know, because socks are kind of, especially socks with somebody's feet as big as mine, <coughs> they're expensive. You should wear those things till they fall off of your feet. You can wear them that long if you want. In fact, I'll give you all my holy socks. How many of you know that most of our wisdom that we live in on a daily basis is all about keeping us comfortable. See, we have to get out of the way for God's wisdom to be manifested in some instances in our life. That's the point. <laughs> That's the point of chapter 5 that I'm not really getting to. Let's go back and look at it. Anyway, it says in that verse, let me finish it. It says, it's the truth, not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you have to accept the fact that the anointing in you is teaching you on a regular basis. How many of you know that the Holy Spirit will correct your homework? Right? He says, now listen, when you leave the church today, tomorrow I want you to take this to your work. I want you to take this to your school. I want you to deal with your brothers and sisters this way. Whatever. How many of you know God corrects your homework? Right? <coughs> Excuse me. So he says there, he said, it has taught you. Well, okay, so when we write down or when we express what we think it taught us, God comes in sometimes and says, that wasn't my point. Right? See, sometimes God teach, seems to teach me what I deserve. Right? So I've served God for, you know, since 1979 or 80, somewhere in there. Doesn't really make, no one told me I was supposed to remember that. So anyway, whatever that is, so 20 years, 43, maybe 45 years, give or take. And occasionally what I like to say to God is, I've tried real hard for the whole of my saved life to be more like you. How many of you have done that? And God still comes to you and says, yes, but in this area, Right? He'll, 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 God touches me about my attitude. <sighs> I went through a car wash the other day. Now, I'm kind of fussy about my car. I went through a car wash the other day. And when I got home, I realized how 
poor, and I think it was nine or ten dollars to, to get my car washed. You say, why don't you wash your car with a hose? Because then I'd have to put the hose back up and get it out. I don't leave it out. It has to be all rolled up and real pretty because I have obsessive compulsive behavior issues that make me comfortable. Oh, yeah, he's trying to get rid of that, too. And so anyway, and I just looked. I, I parked my car in the, in, the, in the driveway, and I went back to the trunk to get whatever was in there out, and I thought, I can't believe I paid $12 to wash my car. Look at that. And I said, you know, stuff was kind of like when your kids come out of the bathtub and the mud's still running down their back. You know, and I looked at it, and there's dirt and stuff running out there. And I thought, man, I paid 12 And I gave the air a piece of my mind. How many of you know, even though none of you were listening, you would have never known this had I not told you this. I now told you about my attitude. Why? Because God deals with me day in and day out. And honestly, I hear him whispering to me, don't go there. Don't touch that. Leave that alone. Don't even think it. When God warns you about what to think before you think it, he's awesome. When we go ahead and do it, we're stupid. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well. Amen. My verse number one. <laughs> Chapter five. You're going to have to read some of this for yourself. I'm getting bogged down in the revelation. My son, get pay attention to my wisdom. Notice this. It says land. Land. <clears throat> when somebody willingly lends you something, how do they do it? Let's see if I can get this out of my pocket. <laughs> the idea behind lending is an extended hand. It requires for you to be like God to receive it. Okay, so if I lend... <laughs> I once put part of a car purchase on this credit card... <laughs> Yeah, you'd see. If you pay your credit card off all the time, they'll keep giving you more credit that you don't need. Anyway, if I offer to lend this, I've taken an extended hand. So what is he saying to us to do? He says, lend your ear to my understanding. He's asking you to extend purposely your listening. <coughs> Come on, how many of you have sat in a church service where you didn't like what was being said, so you stopped listening? You, you didn't lend your ear, right? How many of you were in an exciting church service, and you lent your ear for a little while, but then you knew what was coming next, so you quit listening? I've done that. <laughs> and then they, they, they close the service without using my, my special scripture. Well, they miss God, obviously, Right? We have qualifications for lending our ears. We lend our ear to stuff we like. We lend our ears to stuff we agree with already. Now, when God's going to have to correct, when God has to correct me about my attitude, and I'm not giving you my credit card. When God has to correct us about our attitude, how many of us are thrilled? 
What did you do you know that, that Paul taught us that godly sorrow leads to repentance? Godly sorrow leads to <laughs> so when God corrects us and we're defensive, that's not godly sorrow. That's not wisdom. When he says, lend your ear, he's actually asking you to extend <clears throat> or stretch out your listening. Now notice in verse number two, he says that you may preserve discretion. It literally means that you can hedge about the properties that you, discretion is the properties that you use to make decisions. How many of you know, if you don't have any discretion, you'll do some things that other people think are wrong? Discretion is the, the, the building blocks of decision making. I've had lots of people tell me that I shouldn't use certain words. I've had lots of parents tell me during the main service, please don't use the word stupid. That's not a word that's allowed in our, in our house. You're not in your house. You don't, you can't want, you cannot want the church to become like your house. This is God's stuff here. And he brought you here not to entertain you, but to encourage you. And in some cases to simply correct us. And so what happens in that correction is that, <clears throat> that we need to preserve. How do we preserve it? By extending our ear. You will preserve the, the, the decision-making properties of your life by lending your ear. Are we tracking together? So that your lips may keep knowledge. When you extend your ear, it will affect how you control your tongue. That's what wisdom does. Wisdom knows that you don't have to say everything that you've been thinking about. It is not a spiritual gift to point out sin. Did you know that? It's a spiritual gift to point out grace. It only comes through God. It's a spiritual gift to point out love. It's a spiritual gift. God gives that. You wouldn't have the ability to have self-sacrificing love if you didn't receive God. The love that we do as humans, phileo kinds of love, has a benefit to it. Normally it benefits us. To extend that out, we have to remove the benefit that we have for ourselves and lay down our life for others. That's God's love. He says it'll preserve your discretion and cause your lips to keep knowledge. Why? Look at verse number three. For the lips of an immoral woman. He's going to teach us a lesson. I'm going to teach it to you in three minutes. He's going to teach us a lesson by the first two verses saying, do this because here's what you'll face in the world. See, there are some things that an immoral woman or an immoral world make sound sweet. Notice what it says. <clears throat> For the lips of an, an immoral woman drip honey. <laughs> if you're not prepared to keep, to preserve through wisdom, the discretion, the decision-making decision principles, it will make sense to you because sin for a season feels good. 
when I go to my favorite restaurants, and I have several, I plan to overeat. Do you? Now look at me that way. Man, I order what I want. Sometimes I order an appetizer because I really like that. And sometimes I just sit there until I eat it all. Because <laughs> the immorality of gluttony in my life, and by the way, if you don't think you have it, you're kind of a fool. Because gluttony is an, is an inappropriate or a poorly assigned appetite. Wisdom assigns appetites to the expression of wisdom. It's not good to do these things. Right? Notice it says they drip honey. Her mouth is smoother than oil. There is some sort of fleshly and or soulish stuff here that tastes good and feels good. You can say, well, I don't have any immoral women in my life. Okay, maybe you don't, but I'll just tell you that this wisdom works across the platforms of things that you're struggling with. But in the end, in the end, notice that the world will teach you two parts. It's okay for right now, and you can put up with the problem it will create in the end. But by the way, we do it every day. You do it every time you go to the bank. If you're willing to pay interest on whatever, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, don't, don't hear this wrong, I'm just saying that we take the two things with worldly wisdom. And we sometimes say to ourselves, the only way that I can get a new couch is to put it on payments. The only way I can get a new car is to put it on payments. The only way I can do this is to put it on payments. And we come to grips with both sides of it. And we know there's going to be some regret. And then somebody will tell you, well, you know, interest is deductible on your taxes. What would they want you to do? They want you to apply the wisdom of hating the government to your decisions. Well, I ain't giving them any of my money. No, you'll just give somebody else it. <clears throat> verse 5, her feet go down, her steps lay hold of hell. Notice in verse number 5, <coughs> her steps grasp to attain hell. When you step outside of God's wisdom in dealing with personal issues of intimacy, that's why I made such a big deal about the intimacy in the first two verses, because I knew what was coming. He's, he turned that on and said, listen, pay attention here. Have this intimacy towards, lean in towards what God tells you, what your father tells you, because here's what you're going to face. That makes sense. Verse 6, lest you ponder her path of life. Think about it. What happens? We think about how we can get away with it. We do that in our driving. How much can we get away with before somebody stops us and gives us a ticket? Right? We do that. We're, we're, as humans, we're just predisposed to do this. Okay? So we've got to listen to God's wisdom. Notice it says, and says, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. When wisdom, oh, I'm out of time. When wisdom is your focus, you know the ways of God in a living way inside of your spirit man. You don't know the ways of evil. 
So that's why he tells you, hey, listen, when you face this and it looks really attractive, keep your feet. Don't turn to the right or the left. Don't turn away from what God's told you. Remove your feet from evil because the, 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 the immoral woman, woman will take you there. Verse 8, remove your way far from her. Do not go near the, de- the door of her house unless you give honor to others and your ears to the cruel one. Skip down if you would, please. Verse number 14, it says, I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly of the congregation. He says, this led me to this wrong. The father, who may very well have been David, was teaching Solomon this thing. And he says, I did this in my life and it led me to almost total ruin. We now have historical example of that. That's what happened to him. Amen? If you get down to verse number 20, it says, For why should you, my son, be enraptured, literally drunk with craziness, by an immoral woman? Verse 22. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man. He is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Why did he teach us these things? He only gave us two verses of what to do and a whole bunch of verses saying, listen, this is what you're going to face in the world. Amen? Father, thank you for this time. We just, we just bless you, Lord God, for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Please read chapter 6 for next week. I'll do better. <laughs>